Morning, church. Hi. <laughs> morning. Good to have you here this morning, even though it's raining and that the fair is canceled. And that's still, that's still a smile. It's not. It's a lie. It wasn't true. Oh. Oh. Fake news, yeah. <clears throat> Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for your spirit that teaches us. Lord, we just pray that as we come to your word this morning, we would have humbled hearts so that we might be willing to hear its instruction. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be evident in moving here this morning, that we would not hinder with blind eyes or deaf ears. It's in your precious Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. Romans 13. We'll be looking at the first seven verses this morning. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and that that and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is an authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for, for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all that is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes is owed are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. But again, we invite your spirit to teach us what you would have us learn. Uh, I'm going to be up front with you right now. There are there are varying degrees of difficult in Scripture. Sometimes sometimes Scripture is, is easy, right? It's something that we already know. It's something that we already believe. It's something that we already agree with. And then there are times whenever we're challenged by Scripture because it's going to teach us something that maybe we didn't know or maybe we didn't believe or maybe we don't, aren't living out. Things like what uh, maybe sin looks like and things like that. That's, that's one, one way that Scripture is challenging. Then there's, then there's like the Romans... 9, 10, and 11 uh, challenge in Scripture, difficulty in Scripture, where, 
where it's just this humongous theological giant doctrine and and there's there's different views and different sides and it, it's difficult to maneuver our way through it and then there's difficult in relation to it's just complex right paul is even peter in one of his letters he says man paul is confusing sometimes right so if if scripture is telling us that paul is confusing sometimes paul is really confusing sometimes but then there's then there's passages of scripture that are difficult because they're easy, and yet at the same time, they just don't seem to fit logically in how the world works. I think that's what the, today's passage is like. I, I struggle with this particular topic. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we move through it. But my plan, and I'm going to give you my plan up front so you know where we're going. My plan is that we're going to, we're going to work through what the text says. Like I said, I think the text is fairly simple. It's fairly plain. There's not too much complexity about it. We'll do this by taking into account the context of the passage and things like that. And then at the end, we'll address the difficulty with how we then see this in our lives. So, it's the plan. First, Paul says, let everyone, every person, be subject to the governing authorities. Verse 1. Some of us might go, is there any grammatic things? Is there any Greek weird oddities or new words that we don't know that aren't translated into English well? And the answer is, quite simply, no. It's just about that straightforward. Every person to be subject to the governing authorities. Well, what are governing authorities? Governing authorities, in Paul's mind, are people like Nero, who is the emperor of Rome at this time, or people like Pontius Pilate, who crucified Jesus, or, or Herod, who killed a bunch of uh, babies. These are the people who are governing authorities. And so, therefore, who are governing authorities in our lives? Well, governing authorities in our lives would be people like mayors and governors and even the president of the United States. The next question that we have to ask is, what does it mean to be subject? What does it mean to be subject to those governing authorities? Does it mean blindness? Does it just mean whatever they say is right, whatever they do is right, and we should just follow in their footsteps? No. Does it mean that they're better or more important or more valuable than us? Also, no. We know this because Jesus puts himself in subjection to the Father. Jesus, the Son, puts himself into subjection to the Father. And this, uh, quite simply, proves to us that, uh, that there's no difference in uh, status or difference in importance. So what does it mean to be subject? Well, to be subject means to submit to guidelines, to rules, to regulations, not blindly, but purposefully. We live in a nation where we have the right and, and, in fact, the responsibility to constantly be checking what our government is doing. And we do so through voting, right? So some people might take this passage and say, well, we're not allowed to vote. Whatever the government says is right. That's not true. In fact, the government set it up so that we can vote. And so by listening to the government, we're submitting to the government. But, but also there's, there's no sense in subjection that tells us that we have no voice, or that we have no say, or that we have no we have no place. This is the same. This is the same language that's used in Corinthians and in Peter and Ephesians and a bunch of other places in the New Testament 
where we see wives be subject to husbands or wives submit to husbands, and we see those words and we go, oh no! We, we, we see those and we say, oh no, because we have a misunderstanding of what, uh, of what submitting is. Again, submitting doesn't make me less important, and submitting also doesn't silence my voice. But submitting means purposeful, willful subjection to what the governing authorities are doing. Now, that's difficult. It's difficult, not the least of which, because we look at the current state of where we are now, and we recognize that that's no different than it's ever been. Right? We, we, might, we might look at our, our current system with our current president and our current Congress and our current everybody, and we might go, oh man, this is the worst government that said, no, it's not. Right? Ecclesiastes tells us there's nothing new under the sun. We're not, we're not experiencing any new thing. This, is, this has happened before, and really it's happened in much worse scenarios. Paul being probably the most primary example. Paul writes the book of, of Romans probably, and most, most people, most scholars agree with this, probably in the winter of 57 or 50, in 58, right? So let's say for ease, we're going to say January of 58. Not 1958, but actually 58, first century. In 58, January of 58, Nero, who is the one of the emperors of Rome, he comes into power in, I think, 54. This is like the fourth year of his 14-year reign, something like that. I think he's, he dies in 68 or something like that. Nero is arguably one of the most, most well-known persecutors of the church. People know about Nero because we've heard stories like, oh, Nero was so crazy, he would burn Christians at the stake to light his garden. Or Nero burnt the city of Rome to the ground and then he blamed it on the Christians because he didn't like the Christians. And while these are true things, this is not Nero throughout his whole, whole reign as emperor. He is, he's always a bit crazy. He's always a bit unstable. And he doesn't like the Jews. And because he doesn't like the Jews, he doesn't like Christians. At this particular time, especially if you look at the book of Acts, we notice that the Christians are just a sect. They're just a section of the Jewish people. And one of the things that was happening in the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire, the Romans were brilliant, right? We can, we can all see this. The Romans were brilliant. They knew how to conquer a people and then make them want to be part of the, the people who just conquered them. Right? They, they came in and they said, we, we've just defeated you with their massive armies that just were so superior to any other army that's ever walked the earth that it's unbelievable. They just wiped everybody out and then they said, okay, now you want to be us. And everybody went, yeah, kind of. And they did this by incorporating the gods that they, of the peoples they conquered, by giving relative freedom, allowing the nations that they conquered to, to in, in a lot of ways, govern themselves with further maybe authorities over those people who kind of were hands-off-ish. And then pretty much everybody went, yeah, we kind of want to be like you guys. I mean, it's, it's, it's really valuable to be protected by the most powerful army on earth. But the Jews, they were a little bit different. They were like, well, we don't want your gods. We just want our God because we believe that there's only one God and he's the best God and he's, he's the only God. And he's, you know, Deuteronomy 6.4, what Wes read for communion last week. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is their creed. This is what every good Jewish person would know. We don't want your gods. Pretty soon the emperors in, in Rome, they started saying, you know what, we're really important people. 
we're, we're God's servants on earth. To people like Nero starting to go, no, actually, I'm not just God's servant. I am God. And now you have a group of people going, well, the only people, only God we worship is Yahweh. And Nero starts going, well, you should be worshiping me. But in fact, the law was on the Jews' side. You don't have to worship all the gods. You can, you can choose to worship just your God. And so you see this tension, right? This tension starts to rise, and, and it starts to happen towards the middle of Nero's reign. And then it's at the end of his reign whenever he really goes out of his mind. Right? That's when the real persecution starts and all that. But again, Nero, he's... We don't look at Nero at any point in his reign. Actually, I don't think we look at any Roman emperor and, and look at their reign and go, yeah, that was a good government. Be subject to the governing authorities. Or Herod killing babies. Yeah, be subject. Okay. Why? Why should we do this? For there is no authority except from God. From Romans 9 on, Paul really, he, he hits this idea of God, in fact, being in control. Completely in control. Even when he doesn't look like he's in control, God is, in fact, in control. And if you believe this with any, any level of, of fervor, any level of zeal, you have to then go, all governments are under God's control. But not to mention that reality, but also as you, as you study the Old Testament, and Paul was an Old Testament scholar if there ever was one, Paul, Paul knew the stories of the, of the Babylonians, for example. The people of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, after the split and all this kind of stuff, all this history stuff you don't care about. Some of you do, but... The southern kingdom of, of Judah is going to be attacked by the Babylonians. And the Babylonians are, are coming and there's big monstrous force. And what God says through the prophecy says, the Babylonians are not in control because they are big and powerful. They're in control because the people of Israel, you have sinned. And this is my way, God speaking, this is God's way of punishing you, of correcting you, of disciplining you. So the Babylonians, they don't rise to power because the Babylonians are big and strong and tough and scary. They rise to power because God said, you can rise to power now for my purpose. There has never been a governing person, a governing authority, ever in the history of the world that was outside of God's control. Again, this is not complex. This is not confusing. This is... Easy to understand Paul's logic. Maybe we don't agree, but this is still at least easy to understand Paul's logic. He goes on, therefore, here's what you should do. Therefore, or here's what you shouldn't do as in, in reality. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Whoever resists authorities resists God. And those who resist will incur judgment. This, I think, is what's difficult. Because now we start to we have to ask questions like Nazi Germany. Those of you who are in Wednesday night Bible study, I'm sorry, you're going to hear a lot of the same things I said before, hopefully in a better way. In, in 
Nazi Germany, there's, there's a man, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who is a German theologian, pastor, Bible nerd, right? And he, he saw Hitler before he really rose to power whenever he writes Mein Kampf in the 20s, right? Hitler's book, Mein Kampf, is a, his manifesto. And in his manifesto, he very plainly lays out that he thinks the problem is the Jews. There's no question. It's very plain, very simple. Throughout the whole entire book, it's a rather large book, he just says the Jews are the problem and we probably should get rid of them. And, and Bonhoeffer, who was a theologian who liked to read, he read Mein Kampf and he said, wait, we can't let this guy be, be ruler of our, of our nation. We can't let this happen. And from the very beginning, he stood in opposition, so much so that eventually he became part of a plot called the Valkyrie, which maybe you've seen the movie, I think Brad Pitt's in or somebody like that, where they attempt to assassinate Hitler, and there's a lot of gross historical inaccuracies, and Bonhoeffer doesn't really show up in the movie. But, but nonetheless, that's the plot to kill Hitler. And it fails, and eventually Bonhoeffer is imprisoned, and while in prison, he has to grapple with this particular passage. Am I to resist any government? What does it mean to resist? Right? We, we can go back to the word subject. Subject yourselves to all, to all governing authorities. What does it mean to resist a governing authority? Paul has context here. There is a, there is a context that matters. In 70 AD, right? This is 58, so 12 years in the future, the zealots of the Jewish people, these people who are really passionate about, they, they, they believe, hey, we should never be ruled by anybody else except ourselves and God. And they said, we are no longer going to, be, going to be ruled by the Romans. Even though life with the Romans is really not that bad, they're really not even oppressing us very much. We just want to be free. And, and so they rebelled against Rome. And yes, it's Rome during the Roman peace. But Rome said, you guys are nothing. And they came and stomped Jerusalem to the ground, spit on it, kicked it, burned it to the ground, and then burned the temple. And then they were mean a little bit more. Rome just crushed them. All because of the zealots. Now, who are the zealots? Well, the zealots, they're the ones who just want violence. They're like, we got to overthrow Rome, which is really foolish. And overthrow Rome. But no, no group of people says, I want to overthrow Rome overnight. This is a tension that has been building, really, for like 40 years. In the Gospels, we read about these zealots. Many people think Judas Iscariot, the one who betrays Jesus, was in fact a zealot. And actually, I think it's Simon who's a zealot. And the other Simon who's a zealot. One of the, one of the apostles. Maybe I got that wrong. apologize if I do. These people have been around for a while, and they've been saying, hey, we, sh we, should, we should rise up against Rome. We should rise up against Rome. We should resist Rome. And Paul says, wait a minute. No, 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 no. This Rome is here because God put him here. So for Paul, I think resistance is war. It's not, it's not disagreeing with the governing authorities. Jesus does that all the time. Jesus is constantly at odds with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin. It's not speaking your, your mind. It's not, it's not saying, I don't think this is right. I think at this point, 
At this point, if we're to take Scripture seriously, we have to really start questioning if we should be pacifists. Yikes. I think a lot of us in this room, maybe some of us in this room already consider ourselves pacifists in some way, shape, and form, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess that there's at least a good number of people in the room who will go, oh, no, we're not supposed to be pacifists. Pacifists are weirdos. Paul goes on. And he, he doesn't stop there. He goes on. He says, for rulers, governing authorities, for rulers are not a terror to good. They're not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. What is the, what is the role of the government? Paul says, would you, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? He's maybe a, an easier way to understand this. If, if, if you don't want to be afraid of the government, then, then do this, then do what is good. And you will receive his approval for he, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoers. The government, by God's decree and design, possesses the sword of his wrath. That's its purpose. That's why it's here. That's why it's in existence. And by the way, if you're a Christian, you cannot be an anarchist. You cannot think that there should be no government. We should just rule ourselves. If you want evidence of that, read the book of Judges, when they essentially ruled themselves and did whatever was right in their own eyes and slaughtered a twelfth of their people. It really doesn't work. The sword of the government is the instrument that God uses to pour out His wrath on those who do wrong. In the instances of the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Greeks and the Persians and even to some extent the Romans, this is what happens. God's people are corrected by the oppression felt from these governing Authorities. But did you notice what Paul did here? It's almost a little sleight of hand. Sometimes we look at everybody around us and we go, it would be better if you were all different. I say this all the time whenever I get really annoyed with somebody driving beside me or in front of me. Or, and I go, if everybody would just drive like me, the whole world would be better. You know how many bonehead moves I make in the car? We would not be better. My point in that, my, other than to make a little light of the situation, my point in this is that Paul points to us and he says, you're the only person who is responsible for your actions. You're, not only are you the only person responsible for your actions, but you don't have the right to change anybody else. Nor do you have the ability to change anybody else. So change yourselves. We were looking at, at First Peter this past week in First Peter Chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. You don't have to need to turn there. We're not going to actually talk about it. Verses 13 to 17. Peter says almost exactly the same thing about, about following rulers and authorities. But then he goes on in chapter 3. And he says, hey, listen. If you do good, if you seek after God, if you live righteously, then life will be good for you. But if it doesn't, you're glorifying God. It's a paraphrase. 
Paul here, he says, look, what you can do is you can be a good person and live your life holy and right in holiness and righteousness. And that's all you can be responsible for. That's your only job. That's your only task. And if you are punished because of the wrong you do, you have nothing to say. But if you are punished, if we take the whole counsel of God, if you're punished because of the good things you do, well, now you're glorifying God. I think Paul says another way to live is Christ and to die is gain. Okay. So the governing authorities, they're, they're the sword of God's wrath. Okay, therefore, what should we do? Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Submit to God's rule. And God's rule is through governments. For because of this, you pay taxes. You also pay. Oh, we love taxes. It says, pay taxes, pay to them who is owed. Pay taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whose respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. And taxes and revenue probably fit in the same in the same category. And respect and honor probably fit in the same category. Jesus and Mark uh, chapter 12, verses 13 and following, he's asked by the Pharisees, hey, uh, should we pay taxes? And Jesus goes, hey, give me a coin. And he shows him, whose face is on the coin? And he goes, oh, it's Caesar's. Okay, pay to, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God. Jesus agrees with Paul here. We are to pay our taxes. And some of us might go, well, maybe, maybe we should pay taxes only in regards to how the government is properly functioning. So the government is supposed to be, is, they're supposed to uphold justice. They're supposed to punish the wicked and, and lift up the righteous. So if they're doing that, I'll pay taxes. And I'll only pay taxes on the things that are paying for them to do that. And so all other taxes on school and, and feeding the poor and all these other things, I'm not paying taxes on those. Because it's corrupt. It's wrong, right? Well, Nero was really rich. You know why? Because he taxed everybody that he conquered. That's corruption is what that is. Jesus knows this. Paul knows this. He's writing to Rome. He knows. He understands that there's corruption. Pay taxes to whom taxes are owed and revenue to whom revenue is owed. It's not our responsibility to fix the system. It's there for God's purpose. And who are we to question his purpose? Respect and honor. This is a little harder. We might look at people in our government and say they don't deserve respect. They're not respectable people. They are because God put them there. You don't respect the president of the United States because of his personality. You respect the president of the United States because of God. You honor the president of the United States by maybe by calling him the president of the United States. Not because of him, but because of God. Simple, right? Right? No, nobody's, nobody's agreeing with that. Simple. What do we do? What do we do with this? What do we do whenever people like Hitler rise to power? Man, I wish I could give you an answer. But if we're to take Scripture seriously, and, and by the way, I think we should, we have to wrestle with this to the end of our life. I, I mentioned Bonhoeffer earlier. I said Bonhoeffer, he was put in prison 
because his plot to kill Hitler failed and he was found out. And one of the things that, that he writes about in, in his imprisonment, because it's, it's a little lengthy, I think it's, like, it's, I think it's like a year or two, he writes about this dilemma that he had. And he, he never looked at himself, he, he never looked and he said, the plot, my plot was right and justified. He never said that. He never could. He always said it was, it was only ever the lesser of two evils. So what I would have done, if I, had we succeeded, and had I been part of, a, of, a, of an assassination of Adolf Hitler, I would have been in the wrong. I would have, as Paul says, I would have incurred justice. I don't think that there's ever a time when we should be blasé about simple truths in Scripture. But I will say this. Babylon was eventually overthrown. Assyria was eventually overthrown. Persia was eventually overthrown. Greece was eventually overthrown. Rome was eventually overthrown. If we look at the book of Judges, we have people like the Moabites who were overthrown by the people of Israel at God's command. The Philistines, David is, is commanded when they're oppressing the Israelites to go and to conquer them again and again and again. We have these authorities that have, have gained power in the lives of followers of God because God has put them there. And then at some point, God makes a change. And he raises up a leader to go and to conquer them. But, but I want to be very clear here. We need to be very serious about this passage of Scripture. And if we ever, if we ever look and try to understand how, how are we supposed to overthrow a government when we think it's wrong, we must, we must be very serious and say it's God's purpose until God teaches us something else. Ehud, even Samson, Samson really makes a blunder of everything in the book of Judges. All these judges in the book of Judges, they were very specifically called to, to resist the governments in their lives. Bonhoeffer felt the same way. He felt that he couldn't stand by and allow millions of Jewish people to be taken out of their homes. And at that point, he didn't even know they were being murdered. He felt a particular call in his life. And, and, and I wish that it was plain and simple. But life isn't. So how should we live our lives? In light of this passage? I think my, my suggestion is that we should live our lives with, on a bedrock of pacifism while always listening to God. Again, we have a right in this country that was not afforded to, to anybody else until this country was founded. The right to, to speak out and to protest and freedom of speech and freedom of religion, all, this, all these wonderful things that we have. And, and you know what's really sad is we don't use them. We have, this, we have this right to speak. But our, our speech really means nothing without our actions. So I think we live on a bedrock of pacifism while constantly listening to God, constantly speaking truth into the culture. And if and only if you are very sure that God is calling you to something else, can you do anything other? And even then, Perhaps you sit under the judgment of God.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would always be in control. Lord, as we look at this world and just the, I mean, there's no other way of putting it, just the mess that we, we've created as, as humans. We, we desperately desire your, your hand of goodness. Lord, if we are if we are being corrected, help us to see it. If we are being prompted to move forward and to speak louder, let us do so. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your son, Jesus. That ultimately we know that as we stand on your son, as we stand on his sacrifice, it's all that matters. The whole world can crumble in around us, can crash down upon us and can crush and destroy us, and yet we still know that you are you are the victor. Lord, let us trust your sovereign control, your sovereign ways. It's in your precious and holy Son, Jesus' name, amen.